Chad, I'm Justin, but I'm leading you today, so I encourage you to sing because that's why we're here to sing to the Lord and to worship Him. And for now, go ahead and stand to your feet, greet someone, tell them hi, go see someone, even if it's way over there. If you see somebody, one of your friends over there, and you're over here, go over there. Uh, come back and sing with us in just a moment.
Good morning, everybody. <laughs> you never know how many are going to show up, and especially on New Year's, so many or Christmas between Christmas and New Year's, so many people are uh, are traveling and stuff. But I want you to know you're God's favorites today. He just told me as I came, I got to know what did you get for Christmas? What's the coolest gift you got? Just did anybody get anything cool? You got what? A fishing reel? Seriously, it's East Texas. It's like go going to. Walmart. Everybody gets fishing stuff. What did you get? Oh, they to visit today. <laughs> Good or to, to visit you this week. She's the wrestler, right? I've been watching you online. You could seriously do some damage. I would not tick her off at all. What else did you get? I got an Xbox 360. That's what I got. My kids left, and I I didn't want a dog, so I I got an Xbox. So, don't bother me after hours. I'll be online. What did you get? Who got something else? What did you get? He gets so your dad got the movie pass and he gets three free movies a week. There you go. Did anybody else get a movie pass? Jack's looking for somebody to go to movies with. That is good. What'd you get? 
A Nintendo Switch? We should play Fortnite sometime. I'm, I, I'm terrible at it, but I like to run around and hide. I have won quite a few times. I can't kill anybody on Fortnite. I, I just, I know that's not very pastoral to say. It's not real killing. It's, it's fake killing. But uh, anything else? Anything? Anybody get anything unusual? You got an Oklahoma and Notre Dame tickets for, you bet somebody? <laughs> so those tickets are basically worthless. Well, congratulations on that. That's great. I would, I would pass those off to somebody else on their birthday. And you got a tux. You, gotta, you guys got to see this. This is the most handsome man you'll see today. Look at this. He got a tux for Christmas, right? Switch. You got a Nintendo. Oh, we're going to start a Carpenter's Way video gaming club. Yes, we are. What did you get? You got a Nintendo DS? Well, the world of technology is in good shape. Did you get a Nintendo as well, Sabrina? A motorcycle jacket. Way to go. <laughs> so, so motocross type stuff? Enduros, oh, that's so fun. You got a new sewing machine. Come on, you guys. Somebody else in this room sews. What did you get? You got a rock for Christmas. You were not a good girl. No, that's not a compliment from Santa Claus. It's a, it's a big rock. All right, we got to know, what is the rock for? For my yard. For your yard. That was a dumb question. Okay. I know that there's more story than this. What, what did you? You wanted the rock. Good, okay. What did you get? Walter got an AR. Oh, I won't tell anybody. AR, an extra room on his house is what you meant. That's right. And you got a girls weekend. You know, I have a feeling that those gifts are connected. The girls go out of town and he starts shooting stuff up. What did you get, Connie? An iPhone 8. You are a big spender, dude. It's a, it's a hand-me-down. You don't tell your wife that in front of everybody. What does your shirt say? Oh, I, he, you put, okay. Anyway, it sounds like everybody had a really great Christmas. What did you guys get for your 50th wedding anniversary? A $5 gold coin to replace one that she misplaced. But we're not going there. That is, uh, and 50, 50 years of wedded bliss. Wow. Well, I hope, you had a good, I hope you had a good holiday. It's not over. It starts over again tomorrow for 24 hours. So buy your fireworks. Do not blow up your neighborhood. Jeb, do not blow up the neighborhood. Jeff, Jeff lives right next to me. If you're going to shoot him, shoot him up in the air, not towards our house. But uh, anyway, I, I hope you had a great time. You know, uh, this is a time people come. Lots of our family is out of town, as you know. And lots of people come into town. And we're excited because uh, Josh and Allie and Levi are here. There you are. Come on. Come on. Don't be shy. They have had an adventurous last year. And uh, Josh and Allie are missionaries. I, they grew up here. Or he did. She grew up in Michigan. Um, step up here so they can see you in the light. And uh, uh, it's been an adventurous year. Little Levi joined our family this year. Josh, why don't you give us an update? 
so things are going really well. Uh, he's doing great. She's doing great. Uh, everybody's nice and healthy. Uh, she was a little skewed, uh, growing out of things super fast. Um, but things are going really well. Um, things are going great on base. Um, we keep getting new chaplains that are very excited about uh, sharing the gospel and wanting to work with us. And uh, so new opportunities have been opening up over the past year. And uh, I have really high expectations for how 2019 is going to go. Um, one of our volunteers, who's a Moody student, is actually applying to come on staff with us. Um, so hopefully sometime this year we'll have a part-time uh, staff, which will be really cool. Uh, so he got out of the Navy, went to Moody, and now he's volunteering with us. Um, another exciting thing is I'm actually getting trained at the end of January to become a support raising coach. Um, so I had to raise support to come on staff, and everybody that does that has a coach that's assigned to them. Uh, and I'm going to get trained in that to help other people come on staff and um, reach their goal, um, which is really exciting. Um, so yeah, on the whole, things are going really well. We have recruits from sailors in our classes. We have uh, you know, recruits coming to Christ almost every week. Uh, a few weeks ago, we had 40 recruits in our Alpha Gospel class, which is really exciting. Uh, so yeah, God is, is working and moving on base. And uh, yeah, we're really excited for what 2019 has. So we just, we're happy to be here. We always love coming home to Carpenter's Way. You guys are a wonderful family to us that just prays for us and loves on us well. And um, if you haven't had a chance to see us already, we're going to be up front over by the baptismal for a little while after service. So um, if you haven't already come over and said hi to us, please do so. We'd love to see you. So do you want to say anything? No. <laughs> All right. Thank you. For those of you who are, are not familiar, they work with Crew, Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, Allie is about to become a VP at Moody Bible Institute. They're going to make her president someday. But, uh, and we support them financially and it's with our prayer, and we love you guys, and we're glad to have you back. Thank you. Make sure, make sure you, you uh, talk with them before they leave, and uh, keep praying for them. They're out there serving the Lord in the great white north of Chicago, Illinois. So... Um, hey, if you'll open your worship guide, let me highlight a few things uh, for you that uh, you need to be made aware of. Uh, on your seats as you came, there was a card. This is a really cool uh, program to read the Bible through in a year. And let me tell you why it's different. Every year I've put, for the past three or four years, we've put on the seats a read the Bible through in a year program. And it's basically you just check off every day. This is an interactive app put out by Francis Chan's ministry. Um, that uh, solid theology, theological group. But basically, you can add it to your smartphone if you have a smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, you can download the program. But what's really, really cool is they take you through Scripture on a roadmap in less than a year, less than 20 minutes a day. And within it, there's some parts of the Bible. I know you don't know this, um, but some parts of the Bible are hard to read, like Leviticus. It's a, it's a great to help you sleep all the laws. What they've done is they've infused two and three and four minute videos into the study to help you understand why these things are there, to give you some commentary, to keep you going. It is a very, very great tool. Most of us have had experiences where we have started, well, our, our, our reading the Bible through in a year is a lot like our weight loss. I read a, <laughs> I read a meme last week that said, um, not, it doesn't matter what the meme said, but, but this is a great tool and I want to encourage you to use it. Um, and so if you'll download it, it's, it's uh, all the four, uh, phone platforms. 
or download the program itself, or you can do it on a PC. But boy, is, is it really good, and I want to encourage you to do that. Also, next Sunday, we are going to begin our new series. Um, it's called Who Is This Man? I'm very excited about that. And we're going to be going through the life of Jesus Christ chronologically. So we're going to all, use all four of the Gospels to go through his life. And I think you'll be surprised. Well, you start to understand Christ better and his timeline. He says that over and over again. It's not my father's time for me. It's not my father's time. Well, you'll see that in the stories and where the miracles fit in. So just want to encourage you and bring somebody. If you know somebody who's unchurched and they, you know, most people in this area know about his birth and they know about his death and they may know one or two of the miracles. We're going to put all that in context. And so it's a great study that others might be interested in as well. So invite somebody you know. Um, and uh, I think I think that pretty much does it. Uh, our office this week, tomorrow, will be open half a day. Um, well, actually, it'll be all day, apparently. Um, but then Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday will be open as well. So just take note of that as well. If you need us, you can always email or call. Most of you have my cell number. We're here for you. Um, but I think that does it. I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward at this time for our offering. In a few moments later after the message this morning, we will be having communion. And if you're a child of God, you're encouraged to participate in that. Um, last thing before I pray for our offering this morning, uh, if you're able to, uh, Carpenter's Way people, if you're able to put a little extra in there, help us uh, end our year on a strong note, we would certainly appreciate that. Uh, once we pay back some of the deficits for the year, we'll put all the rest of the money towards um, our building renovation project. Let's uh, commit ourselves to the Lord. Father, we love you, and, and we're thankful uh, that you have brought us through the holidays. And, Lord, uh, it's such a fun time of the year. There's such a wonderful buzz in the air. But, Lord, um, sometimes underneath all the excitement and the smiles are hurting hearts. And I thank you that you are the one who brings peace in the storm and calmness. We, we thank you for all that you've done in um, Josh and Allie's life. And, uh, Lord, protecting her life in a, a very difficult birthing process. We're thankful for little Levi. And, we pray that he would grow up to be a man who seeks after your heart, who knows your word and desires to walk with you. Father, I pray for our family that's away on vacation and traveling, that you would keep them safe. Um, I pray, Father, for those of us who are watching online today and who will be in this room, that you would speak to us in a special way. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you provide for us and will continue to. We now give our service to you. We turn our eyes away from the, the, the business of life and fully on you, and I pray you'll bless our time. In Jesus' name.
teach you a new song this morning called My All My Hope. Now, the verses may be a little bit difficult to sing, but if you'll let me sing those and then uh, echo whenever we sing the chorus, uh, I think you'll have a good time singing this song. It's a great song. Join us when we sing. him down to his knees. God, I've been broken more than a time or two. Yes, Lord. Then he picked me up and he showed me what it means to be a man. Come on and sing,
this chorus one more time, just have the voices sing that. Now, this is the year in service. All our yesterdays are gone. So what I want you to think about is if, if Jesus Christ were sitting in this room on his throne above our heads, the fact is he's in our hearts. He's, he takes up residence in our hearts. So I want you to imagine singing this song with him sitting in the room, and I want you to sing it to him whenever we sing this with our voices. Oh, my hope is in Jesus. Thank God my yesterday's gone. All my sins are Welcome to the Ryman. That was so good. Seriously. Julie leaned over to me and said, we really are a cowboy church at heart, aren't we? That was, I mean, that was like, you even did that. Now, I got to know, now I know that that, who wrote it? Crowder sings it, and Ed Cash, is that Johnny's brother? Has to be, there's no other Cash, right? That was really good. The whole worship team, which has now left our church to gone somewhere, go somewhere else, man, that was good. How you doing? Um, <clears throat> so we're between series. We're going to start next week. As I uh, put put that logo up there again for me, Kevin. Um, we're going to start this new series next week. Who is this man? Is what I've entitled it because I think. Man, I think we know a lot of details about Jesus. We know about his birth, obviously. Uh, in this culture, we know about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We, we know that he made the, line, the, the blind to see and the lame to walk. But I'm, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure that we really grasp who he is. I mean, we know here, but boy, there's a lot to Jesus Christ. I mean, he was 200%. 100% man and 100% God. And uh, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around the ramifications of both of those things. So we're going to take the next six years, and we're going to slowly and methodically, um, for the past probably eight or nine years, uh, I know you figured this out by now, we've kind of been jumping from the Old Testament to the New Testament back and forth. Some New Testament, we've done a lot of the letters, uh, the epistles, doctrine, and then we jump to the Old Testament uh, to, to look, at, um, look at the pictures in it. Uh, we, I've kind of, this last series, I didn't call it Out of Stained Glass, but basically a, a, a few years ago, eight years ago or so, we did a series called Out of Stained Glass, where we looked at the patriarchs of, of Judaism, of Christianity, and, and looked at them as they really are, and we were shocked to find just how deeply flawed these men were. I mean, I think we know it, but when you look at David's life, and, uh, you know, we know David was sinful, we just don't really let it sink in how deeply sinful he was. And add to it immoral. I mean, he was a murderer. Uh, and yet God called him a man after his own heart. There's these conflicts within your soul and your brain that you kind of have to work through. Well, Jesus, Jesus obviously wasn't a sinner, but he was tempted in every way, but he didn't sin. And because of that, he is our sympathetic high priest. And we wrestle with stuff. We wrestle with the idea, despite Isaiah saying that he was a man of many sorrows, we wrestle with, the con wrestle with the concept that he genuinely was tempted, that he spent 40 days in the wilderness genuinely being tempted, not just, not just having Lucifer set stuff before him, hey, want a cookie, but actually be desiring those things. 
There's a lot of stuff that Jesus said that gets back billing that actually gives you depth and three-dimensional context of his life. We, we live in a time, and, and look, it, there, there's value to this, but just to get people in the Word, we, get, we live in a time today where people, and I'm talking about our people, evangelicals, uh, people who go to good churches, have uh, their knowledge of Scripture is relegated to 30-minute sermonettes every Sunday, or maybe a TV show about angels, or maybe a daily bread type reading that doesn't make take more than five or six minutes where you take a section of scripture and then, then there's a little devotionette to it, a, an application for life. And while those things are important and good, it doesn't really give us the background information we need to understand what's going on. What's going on? And uh, in this next year, it is my prayer, and I really believe that God wants us to do this. I'm excited about it. This next year... I want you to know Jesus as he presents himself in Scripture. And there are some differences. There, there are differences. Uh, growing up in uh, churches that didn't allow drinking, there is a quandary for the first miracle. Because I don't care how many times we twist and turn in the wind trying to explain it away. The fact is, when Jesus turned water into wine, it was alcoholic and it was the best stuff that the wine steward at the party had ever tasted. And that's a quandary for those who believe drinking is a sin. But we're too scared to push against our, 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 our mores in order to look at who Jesus is. And we're going to do that for the next year and a half. We're going to do that. We're going to do it slowly. We're going to look at each story. And I'm super excited about it. It's going to take courage on your part, though. Because Jesus is not a Baptist. About, three, about a quarter of you came from Assemblies of God. He was not an Assemblies of God member. Jesus was not a Protestant. He's Jesus. He's God. He did not come here to live under man's doctrine. He came here to be himself and accomplish his Father's will. And the disciples didn't get it. One of the things that stood out to me at Christmas this year um, was, um, I'll get off on that. Let me say this differently. Even when they had been walking with Jesus for two years, Jesus calms the sea. And remember what they said. Who is this guy that even the sea and the wind obeys him? It doesn't matter how long you've walked with God. The truth is, even the disciples that walked with him for three and a half years were still confused. Even the night of his arrest, they still think that Jesus is going to set up a kingdom that they get to be a part of and in leadership of. They didn't understand he came to serve and to die. Even though he had told them at least nine times. He had told them he's going to die. He's told them he's coming back from the dead. He told them he came to serve and not be served. They still didn't get it. And if the, di if the disciples are confused, boy, we get confused too. So that's why we're going to do this. We're going to relook at Jesus, and I, I'm going to tell you, you're not going to learn anything new. You're just going to see it in context. There's nothing new. The same Gospels you have in your Bibles are there. I'm not making stuff up, but we're going to go through this and see what Jesus said about himself. And like I said, I'm excited about this. There are a lot of people, a lot of people in this community that have given up on church because they're tired of being fed half-truths, or they're discouraged, or they don't, they don't feel welcome in church. And uh, um, what we've got to do is we've got to convince them that it's not the church, what the church thinks about you that matters, it's what that guy thinks about you. Uh, not that guy, that's uh, Leonardo da Vinci's idea of him. But, but, but Jesus Christ, you and him, that, that's what was just sung with the best southern draw. You are a cowboy. Uh, there you are. But, but it's, it really is about the blood of Jesus Christ being shed. Um, and I, like I said, I'm excited. So Pastor Zach Wilkie is going to start us on our series. One of his, one of his acts to grind is the incarnation of Christ. That's just a theological word, a doctrinal word that means 
God becoming man. And so Zach next Sunday is going to open the conversation with us. What's this mean? Why is it a problem? What do people think of Jesus as opposed to what he is? So we're going we're gonna to dive in. And in, 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 in Carpenter's Way Way, we're starting a conversation. That's what we're doing. We're not ending a conversation. We're beginning it. And I beg of you, and I know we got people watching on, online today. I know some of you are visiting and you kind of sit, just sit here. You need to be involved in Bible study because our whole thing is come let us reason together. Let's come reason around Scripture. What does Scripture say? And let's, let's learn to discuss. Our culture has removed our ability to disagree without being disagreeable. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop, and it needs to stop here. The Bible, the one rule, the Word of God is final authority. It's final authoritative. So we come to the Scriptures within its context, and we're going to study and learn. So I'm pretty excited, like I said, three or four times about this study. We'll start it next week. And uh, like I said, Pastor Zach will be back, and he will... He will open the word to us. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what my boy has to say. Um, we've had people come to the church when he speaks and never come back after, and that's because they like him too much. So he doesn't get many opportunities, but he's going to pop in. He, as you know, he's studying his MDiv at Southwestern, and he'll pop in and help me with this study when he feels I need to be corrected, and then, then I'll send him away for six months and fix his theology. So um, it, it is my prayer. Uh, I, I, Christmas was a real spiritual success for me this year. Um, I told you a month ago, and I, I look, I really try when we have these times together to share my heart with you. I'm in this journey with you. I'm not some guy up there who's got, I, I don't have it all figured out. I have probably a little more information than most of you about this, but only because I spent seven years doing four years worth of study. Um, I spent a lot of time in the Word. I've been formally trained, but the truth is you've got access to all those tools, and that's why I want you in the Word. That's why I want you to read the Bible. I want you to be able to debate. I want you to see when I'm wrong. I want us to reason together. Having said that, sometimes in this line of work, just like your line of work, things get old. And uh, the truth is Christmas and Easter are very difficult seasons for pastors uh, and worship teams because um, you've, if, you're, if you're 65, you've had 65 goes around on those themes. And how do we take somebody who's heard the old story and make it new? Uh, especially when the romantic part is not is secular, it's not Christian. And uh, even in my heart, it's been difficult, and I shared this with you. How do I look forward to the advent of Christ when I know what the story is told? And uh, so over this season, I really prayed that God would really touch my heart with some things, and he did, and it was, it was really, really cool. Um, there were two, two things that struck me this year that I think are really significant and, and things that God is going to teach us in 2019. Um, who is Jesus really? All of him. The birth of Christ certainly was the first time, and I, and I got to be careful because this isn't exactly right, but you know what I mean. He steps onto to earth in order to start the process of solving man's problem, actually solving his own problem, because God had a plan. God was committed to his plan. What was his plan? Genesis three fifteen to redeem mankind, to remove what Eve and Adam opened to us. He was going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to remove sin so that we can have fellowship with him. That was done. Uh, that, the plan of that was in action from the Old Testament, as we've been studying on Wednesday nights. It was in action. It was activated immediately. God put his plan into process. But boy, humanity sees the promise being fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. The birth of Jesus Christ gets boring, and, and I say that carefully, but it really does get boring if you're a child of God and you've heard it 52 times, because you've heard it 52 times. Every year we talk about the same things. There weren't three wise men at the manger. They were in the house. 
Uh, we talk about, you know, it probably wasn't a silent night, although I want to thank you for pushing back on that. A lot of you really want that night to be silent, so it could be. That could be your truth for this year. It was a silent night. There was no pain in birth. But, uh, but, but we, we've heard the story, so we look for nuances. And I'm here to tell you that, that God really, it was very exciting for me, and I'm sorry for you because you had to hear me say it over and over again. The thing that was really cool to me is I realized this year in a way I hadn't that, that Jesus' birth was promised and fulfilled. You know, we, every time we have a president, they tell us, you know, I've achieved every promise I ever made. They're all lying, but Jesus actually did it. Jesus actually fulfilled his promise. He fulfilled his promise in, in being born. And, and that means, why is that a big deal to me? Because it means I can promise him for the future. I, if he's kept his promises, and I, and I want to put context on this, because this morning's devotion comes out of him, out of this. But, but one of the cool things is if he kept his promise, and I want to remind you that when he came, even though people were awaiting the anointed one coming, they weren't waiting for him to redeem them. They were waiting for him to lead them like Moses led out of their circumstances. They wanted to be led into the wilderness and through the wilderness and into another promise. They wanted manna. They wanted health care. They wanted the Mosaic covenant fulfilled. They wanted another Moses is what they wanted. The funny thing is, is they hated Moses when he walked. They complained about him nonstop. Jesus comes on the scene, and, and they end up killing him because he doesn't turn out to be a Moses. He's better than Moses. And you'll notice in our discussion of Jesus Christ that he's going to say, look, I know you like Moses, and you want me to be Moses. I'm the one who gave manna. Moses looked at me for authority, and we forget that. They forgot that. They didn't really grasp who Jesus was, and when they found out who this salvation was, they didn't want him. They didn't, and yet he kept his promise. If it had been you and me, I'm going, if they don't want me, I don't want them. And the church's doctrine today, and many evangelical churches mimics that. They say that if you are the child of God and you reject God, he'll reject you in time. You don't have one example of that in Scripture. God never, never says, okay, I'm going to take my word back because you don't want me anymore. Nobody wanted Jesus to die on the cross. Nobody wanted him them to redeem him until after it's over. Even his brothers and his family didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after his resurrection. It's an incredible story, and we're going to study that together because you need it to sink in because it matters, because God has made promises to us. I'm going to talk about those in a few minutes, but those promises will be fulfilled whether you want them to or not. How about that? Let that sink in. Even if your biggest concern right now, this morning, is money, God will still save your soul. Even if your biggest concern is health care, if every prayer you pray this next year is about health care, he will still hug your neck and tell you he's going to save your soul. Because that's how our dad is. He knows what's best, even if we don't. Even if we live based upon feelings, he will fulfill his promises to us. And his promises are, are clear. And so in light of all that, I've been thinking a lot about who is Jesus really? Obviously, I'm preparing for this time in the Word. But there's another question. How do I live for him here in this messed up, frustrated, scary, disappointing time and place? Uh, we're going to talk about that this next year a lot. In fact, uh, we haven't had a lot of opportunities where we get real practical, so, some, so we're going to start turning some of our Wednesday nights into practical dialogues. In the same mojo we have, if you've never been to Wednesday night, most of us think it's the best time of the week who go. But it's going to be the same thing, and we're going to talk about the difficulties. I want to talk about things like, we're, we're actually going to call it logos, and, and most of you think that word means word. It doesn't. It actually, in Greek, means reason. It means truth. The idea of coming together and discussing 
as the world gets weirder, we need to address those things, but not from pulpits, but from dialogue. And so Wednesday nights, some of you, uh, I've, I've heard from a lot of you who have kids who right now are transitioning from male to female or female to male. And, and you wouldn't tell people that. You tell your pastor or you tell one or two other people that are struggling with it. But when does the church have an opportunity to dialogue? How do you, miss how do you minister to your child that is, that is sexually confused? Uh, how do you minister to your, your cousin that just came out of the closet? Do we have a response to that or do we just write them off? Much of the church is writing them off. If I make cakes, should I make cakes? for homosexual couples? Those are great questions, and we're going to answer those together. Not from pulpits, but from dialogue. So Wednesday night's going to change. More on that after January, because we're going to continue through what we're doing right now, and about uh, into February or March, we'll get into that. But as we prepare this morning for our time of communion, I want to share with you some, some challenges the Lord has been giving me this last week. Out of Colossians chapter 3, and, and I've been reading it for a few weeks as I've been thinking about where we're going a personal challenge. Let me let me pray, and then, then I want to jump into this. Uh, Father, I ask you now uh, to um, speak to us. Uh, don't let the words of my mouth disrupt, uh, disrupt the meditation of their hearts and what you want to say to these people. There's not a person here who doesn't have a unique challenge, a unique frustration, a unique concern. So, Father, you, you have sent your Holy Spirit to live within them, so I pray you would speak to them this morning through today's text. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, as I was reading over Colossians chapter 3, and we're not going to read it right now, um, Kevin, I'm, I'm going to come to it in time. But as I was reading over this the past few weeks, some things stood out to me as a believer that I want to share with you this morning. So if you're not a child of God this morning, I just want you to know you need to meet him. He'll solve your eternal problem. Um, your eternal problem of separation with him. You can know the King of Kings, the one who created you out of dust. You can know him. He will forgive your sin, he will redeem your soul, and you can spend eternity with him. I, ha I can't think of one reason why anybody would ever want to go to hell. If you go to hell, it's your own fault. He has paid the price for your redemption. So if you're watching online this morning, or you are in this room, and you are not the child of God, this morning's message is not for you, but this part is. Run to Jesus. Don't be an idiot. Don't be foolish. If somebody was standing right now, over by Jack in the Box, with a million-dollar check with your name on it, and I told you they're waiting for you there, you wouldn't even wait for me to finish my message. You'd watch it online. You would run over there and get it. I'm here to tell you that there's a hundred-billion-dollar check with your name on it. It was purchased on the cross 2,000 years ago by Jesus Christ and his blood, and it is waiting for you to pick it up. And if you end up separated from God for eternity, it is not God's fault. It's your fault. You've chosen that route. So I beg of you as your friend, and I know you're not my friend, then as a guy who's found the truth in Jesus, run to Jesus. Don't run to the Baptist church. Don't run to the Assemblies of God church. Run to Jesus. We can work on the rest of the stuff later. Jesus is the answer. So having said that, as I was reading through this text, and it's going to be this morning, Colossians chapter 3, so if you turn there, I'd appreciate it or you'll see it on the screen. There were two things that kind of set the agenda for me in this text. The first thing was that Paul's challenge in this text is written to believers, to save people. You'll understand why this is significant in a few moments. Secondly, that since he's writing to save people, it appears that it is optional for us to live for God or not to live for God. And that's pretty rowdy to me. 
Because pastors, as we try to manipulate you and motivate you, is a better word, into walking with God, we try to make it not an option. But if this text is to be taken at face value, you have a choice as to how you're going to live this life out. There is a separation between the moment you're saved and the moment you surrender control of your life to him. Those seem to be two separate things. And that is consistent with Paul's writing. Romans chapter 12, because of all these things, I beg of you to give your bodies to God as a living sacrifice. That's an example of now that you're a child of God, now give yourself to the Lord as well. Since he saved you, do these things. And Colossians chapter 3 does the same thing. Within this text that I'm going to share with you this morning, I found four overriding challenges that Paul puts forth to the child of God. The first one is found in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Listen to Paul write, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, take a breath. Who's he writing to? Saved people. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things on the earth. For you died to this life, and your real life, your actual life, the life that you're going to spend the next billion years living, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. I love this, because we don't do this today. If somebody talks about the return of Christ or things future, it's always prophetic. There's a blood moon, and the blood moon is the sign for the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation, that God's return is going to be a week from Friday. Uh, don't forget to give your tithes and offerings so that we can exist into the new year. It is weird what's going on in theology today. People tell you that the Lord is coming Friday, but that at the end of that lesson, if you want more information on his return, if you will give $59.95, they will send you in snail mail a book that explains further on the return of Christ, which is happening a week from Tuesday. It doesn't matter. It doesn't make any logical sense. But whenever we talk about prophecy, it ceases to be our hope. You know, the New Testament talks, the, talks about the return of Christ and what is coming as our what? Does anybody know the name? It's got a title. Blessed Hope. It's not the Holy Terror. We are not given the future so that we can, we can live better because we're scared of God returning when we're in the middle of an adulterous act. That's not what it is. It is supposed to be our blessed hope. And the beginning of this tells us that since we've been raised to new life with Christ, we should set our sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. We should think about the things of heaven rather than the things on earth, which is what we have completely obsessed ourselves with. His first challenge from Paul to us as believers is to, hate, to, is to take heaven and what is to come seriously because that's where our real life is. The one guy in history that seems to get, wrap his mind around this is C.S. Lewis, who talked about the shadow lands all the time. He referred to this life as the shadow lands. This is just a small picture of what is about to come. It's real, it's important, but what comes is more important. And if you got through all five of the Chronicles of Narnia, you realize at the end of that story, at the very end, and if you don't want to read all five of them, I encourage you to read the last chapter of the last one, which I don't remember its title right now, but the last chapter, when the kids actually go through the wave into the, uh, the Narnia, Aslan's land, when they finally get into Aslan's kingdom, it says, and now we've come to the end of our adventure, but not really. Because actually what you have just concluded is the end of the preface. Now that I'm 52, and that's almost 94, now that I'm 52 and my kids are out of my house and rebellious because they won't live in my house anymore, I, I'm just kidding, I, I don't want them in my house, but now that they've moved away and run away from home and are doing life well, I realize how quick it's all been. And I know those of you with two- and three-year-old kids don't believe us, 
I'm now one of them. It'll go so fast. Enjoy the midnight feedings. Enjoy the tantrums. I know you won't, but it's our job to tell you that. And one day you will join our club and you will tell you I'm repeating. The, the truth is, it goes by like that. It is amazing, and I know I'm only 52, and some of you are going, man, Mark, you act like you're old. I am. <laughs> the, the, the fact is that this is not, I am not ending, I am not entering the last quarter of my life. I am ending the last quarter of the beginning of my life. When you die, it is not the end, it is the end of the beginning. And to get our minds wrapped around that is difficult because we live for now. In fact, I would argue that the church has two overriding messages. Again, not Carpenter's Way, but the church in general in every book you read. Number one is get saved, and that's important, and there's nothing wrong with that, of course. But the second thing is, is now have a good life. And even evangelical books talk about that, not just health and wealth doctrine people, but people are trying to help you have a good life because we want good now and we want good later. And if I can have a, if I can enjoy my life now and enjoy my life later, boy, I'm a, that's a win for me. And so a lot of our messages leave the, sim, leave the simple teaching of Scripture and go into how can you have, um, how can you have it all when, when clearly Paul is saying you need to put your eyes on what is real, not what you are experiencing right now. Uh, if you have been watching the news, and I know you have, or reading the news, there is more persecution against Christians. It is ramping up in China again. And we can look and go, those poor people. But you understand that this is their task. This is their calling. And, and even the disciples, while we whine and complain at times about the government suppressing or becoming secularized, or, you know, my favorite is going to Starbucks and people writing, um, you know, they say, what's your name? And you write... You say, just Merry Christmas, so that they can go, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, when, when they don't usually say Merry Christmas at Starbucks and Happy Holidays, as if, as, if, as if we're persecuted because they don't say that. First of all, who cares? Um, it doesn't change the, ta the taste of your $4 cup of coffee. But the truth is, we, we act like we're persecuted. We're not. The disciples considered the sufferings as a privilege because they didn't put their hopes here anymore. After Jesus resurrects and goes into heaven, the disciples write much of the New Testament, and Paul says over and over, it is a privilege to share in the sufferings of Christ because now they understood to put their hope in eternity. Unless we accomplish this, we will never find the peace we're looking for, even as Christians. The only way we will find hope in this life, me as a pastor, is not in better offerings, is not in a better-looking congregation, is not in a larger building, the only way Mark Wilkie will find peace in this life is not in a perfect set of kids or family, although they are. The only, I mean, the minute Zach and Hannah get married, I am immediately worried about when they have their first child and if it will be perfectly timed. It's just how I'm built. But you know why I'm built that way? Because I have an underneath belief that this life owes me something. And it's not true. I put too much hope in this life. I want to be happy, and I want to be happy more than you know. I told Julie uh, a few months ago, I miss the youth pastor, Mark. He was so much more fun. That's because I think I should be the youth pastor, Mark. But God hasn't called me to be the youth pastor, Mark. God has a bigger plan for me. And he's got a plan for you, and it will involve being unnerved and, and a government that's crazy and kids that don't always behave. And it involves a spout that's kind of a fool at times. And, and you that are foolish at times. It involves all of those things. But when you do what Paul says, 
you, uh, since you're raised to new life with Christ and you've set your sights on the realities of heaven, when you think about things of heaven, not on the things of the earth, all of a sudden hope is born. Because even when you have a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month, hope is still existent because you've put your hope there, not in here. And he wants us to understand, since we've been saved, we should put our mind there. 1 Corinthians 2.9 gives us a hint as to why that should be hopeful. It says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We have no idea. That's why it's called faith. If you put your hope in God and he says, you have no idea what awaits you, and you see the birth of Christ as more than just a Savior coming to save you. Okay, I've been saved. Thank you, Jesus, for being a baby. When you realize that it's also promises kept, you can go, okay, I have no idea what's coming, but I know it's going to be good. Well, how do you know it's going to be good? Because the Scripture tells me that no eye has seen and no ear has heard, and no mind can even imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. Okay. So I was treated unfairly today by the waitress who poured tea in my, in my lap going to be okay. There will be no tea pouring in heaven. That is where my pants never get ruined by bad waitressing. That is where I never get cut off in traffic. How dare you cut me off? That was my two car lengths in front of me. I've never, I've never had road rage. I've never been mad at anybody's traffic. That's a struggle you guys have. That's not my struggle. Our culture has become so mean, even our Christian culture, that we take parts of verses that make us feel good and we put them on Facebook or on our phones or books are written about them. We write them on our mirrors in hopes that they will make us feel better about our present struggles and circumstances. And I think the result of that has been we kind of see Scripture as promises, as pie-in-the-sky hopes that may or may not happen, and we don't take God's Word seriously because we haven't been using it in the proper way. We don't care about context, and I'm here to tell you that that only makes you more disappointed with God because you have been lied to by people who have told you that God only wants what's best for you for you. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. God wants what's best for His plan here. His plan is to redeem people to save us because he loves us. It is not to make you happy. That's what eternity will be about. Join us. But that's why this starts. That's why this starts with putting your mind on what's coming. Put your hopes there. Promises kept, promises will be kept. That's our hope. Two promises of what's coming that I think Paul uh, was referring to in Colossians chapter 3. John 14, verses 1 to 3 is the first one. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why? Trust in God. You trust also in me, Jesus said. There is more than enough room in my Father's house. Isn't that interesting? He just told you not to be troubled with this life's problems. You can trust God and you can trust me. So how? Why? How can I trust you? I'm scared. The disciples were worried about what they were going to eat, where they would rest their head. That's one of the things we'll learn is they were frustrated with that. And what is Jesus' answer? Because there's more than enough room in my Father's house. If it weren't so, I would have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I'll come back and get you. That does not mean when your room is done. That means when God's plan for you in this life is over. He'll come get you. Revelation 21 tells us what that's going to look like. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was all also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, 
God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And listen to this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things will be gone forever. And all God's people said, too far from now. This is our hope. Promises kept. Just as sure as Jesus Christ was born and laid in a manger, and they called his name Emmanuel, and he was called Jesus, as sure as that happened, as sure as Mary and Joseph took him to be circumcised, and as sure as Simeon and Anna prophesied over him, as sure as all of that happened, as sure as this, this man's family was from Nazareth, and he was born in Bethlehem, as sure as he was in the line of David, he's coming back for us. He's coming back for us, and we will enjoy him forever, and there will be no more sorrow and no more pain. That covers everything you're worried about for 2019. Whatever you find worrisome in 2019, in heaven, when we are done with this task, when we are done with our chore, when this is over, you will never face that again. Praise God. Are you tired of this? Three of you are. Then put your hope in God, my three friends. <laughs> yeah, I'm just teasing with you. You've got to wake up a little bit. New Year's is going to be a late night. It's true, though. We've got to put our hope in God again. We've put our hope in, in, in our leadership, in our books, in our Christian thoughts. We've put our hope in psychoanalysts, uh, psycho um, whatever. We've put our hope in medication. We've put our hope in doctors. And I do, too. But our real hope, there will be a day when my doctor looks at me and says, this one I can't fix. And if my hope is in that doctor, I will be the most depressed, scared man alive. But if my hope is in God, my answer will be, thank you for trying. I knew this day would come. Get it? Put your hope in God. Put your hope in God. Out of this text, the second challenge is found in verses 5 through 11. So while we're putting our mind on the realities of heaven, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things. He's talking to believers. Apparently, Christians can commit adultery and lust and, and, and be immoral. Apparently so, because he's telling us to put those things off. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you, learn, as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. How good is that? You can put your hope in God because it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. doesn't matter if you're a barbarian or you're civilized. doesn't matter if you're a redneck or a New York Yankees fan. All that matters is that Jesus Christ has redeemed you. Now put your hope in his promises. So let's get super honest. The reason we indulge in our flesh, friends, and every one of us have a sin we go to, you might be sitting here going, I have never committed adultery in my life. Your sin is self-righteousness. Good for you. I mean, the truth is we all have something we do that makes us feel better about our circumstances. And some of you are so good at being Christians, you're angry. Because the rest of the world are a bunch of dirty hypocrites. How dare they? You go to church and people are wearing jeans. Even a preacher. Some of you will walk out of here saying, finally we had some of that heavenly music in here because he sang with a twang. You know, whatever you default to to make yourself feel better about your circumstances, that's called self-medicating and it's a sin. 
Sin isn't just having sex with somebody else's wife. It's not just looking at porn. It's also self-righteousness. It's self-soothing. It's eating too much. It's when you're depressed, going to Outback and ordering the biggest bone-in steak you can because for an hour you'll feel good. It's drinking it's, it's too much. It's, it's doing whatever you do to feel better that's not God. We do that because we're disappointed in this life, and we need to feel better if only for a few moments. I call it a spiritual vacation, and we all take them. But if we can put our, our, our reality, if we can put our eyes on the realities of heaven, those spiritual vacations won't be as, as exciting as we think they are. Because the problem with the spiritual vacation is there's always a hangover. Every time. Some of you are secretly addicted to pornography and you think you're getting away with it. How's your intimacy with your wife? She's not good enough? You think you get away with gossip? And you wonder why your kids have to go untactful because you've been so critical your whole life that your kids think everybody's critical of them. You don't get away with sin. You just don't get away with it. It always kills everything it touches. And the reason we have the, 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 this, this, this going on even in the church, just like in the world, is because we, stu- we have also put our hope in this life. We've put our hope in this life. I've had a half dozen people since I've been in East Texas come to me and tell me they're leaving their wife for somebody else's wife because they make them happy and God told them that's what he wants for them. Just so you know, that's a lie. And two or three years into that marriage, you're going to wonder if they're going to do to you what you did to your last spouse. That's how this works. Put your hope in God. It's the only thing that works for the child of God. The third challenge from Paul to me personally was Colossians 3, 12 through 15. Since God chose you to be, ho- uh, to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as the members of one body, you are called to live at peace and always be thankful. When you set your sights on heaven and you put your hope in God's promises over over your own hopes for this life, you're willing to take off the stuff of the flesh that gives temporary pleasure, and you're willing to put on... And uh, the, the Holy Spirit and clothe yourself in his fruit. You'll allow him to take over and you'll end up uh, with the characteristics of mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and your family will freak out because they're not used to you being like that. By giving control of your life, if you take your eyes off yourself and you look at God and you wonder, well, how can I do this? You give control. So Paul wraps this up. Here's the final thing, 16 and 17. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. I want you to think on that for a second. This is one of those lines, and even this message, I, I, I know, I know the, how this comes across. You know, I've sat in a lot of messages too, and being encouraged to take off the old nature and put on the new is a pretty traditional message in the evangelical church. And I've sat in many messages going, I have no idea how to do that, but thank you for preaching it. Start over. You're saved, but tell the truth to God. Tell him the truth. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness, that means all of its fullness, the whole thing, not just you don't have to go to hell, but actually that he will live within you, as Justin already told us this morning. He will guide you. He will direct you. His spirit will, will, will help encourage you. 
with all of its richness. Let it dwell in you. Let it fill your lives. What have you got to lose? How's not doing that working for you? How is being a Christian but not surrendered working for you? It doesn't work. It leaves you empty and wondering if this is true. It, it, it leads you down the path of question and doubt and worry and fear. And then somebody preaches an eloquent message or you have a great song and you wonder if you're even saved. I'm here to tell you that you don't have to live like that. We don't have to live like that. We can be a people of hope. We can be a people of peace. We can be a people of the future. People who put their hope for wealth in the storehouses of the King of Kings. People who put their hope for good health in eternity. But to do that, we have to let the message about Christ and all of its riches fill our lives. That's why we're studying Jesus again. You need to know him. I, I'm here to tell you, let me, let me give you the cliff notes of what you're about to learn. He's better than you thought. And he doesn't wait for you to get it right. He does the right thing even before you get it right. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. He loved you that much. And if he loved you that much before you're saved, how much more does he love you now? Let the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives. Maybe instead of telling each other you should leave your spouse if they don't make you happy, we should tell you to stay it's a worthy investment unless you're abused and they make a cat noise. Maybe we should start living the values of heaven instead of the values of earth. Maybe we should reach out to our transgender child instead of ignoring them or shunning them like the Amish. Maybe we should actually invite our gay married neighbors over to our house for dinner. What will my kids think? That we love our gay married neighbors. What will the church think? Probably that you're a friend of sinners. God, all things are possible, right? Isn't that what we just learned? But the Holy Spirit guides us in directions, and i got to tell you, the people who will resent you the most are not the lost, it's the saved. Because this takes courage. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. As I set my mind on the reality of heaven where my real life is, I want to let the message about Christ and all of its riches fill my life. The ending of one year and the beginning of a, of a new year is another opportunity to start over to truly become the man or woman God saved you to be. So who wants to join me? I'm going to start over. You want to go, John? Let's do it. Let's see what God does through us. Who else will join me? Who's willing to say, I'm going to put it on the line, live, live or die, I'm ready? What are you living for? And I get tired of the worry, the frustration, waiting for Washington, D.C. to do the right thing, as if I know what the right thing is. Waiting for churches to get the right mix of hymns and choruses. Tired of waiting. Join me. I want to take off the flesh. I want to put on righteousness. I want to be that pastor in the community who's kind to people, that speaks truth. What about you? 
You come in contact with dozens of people every day. Every one of those are potential divine appointments by the King of Kings. Are you willing to be used by Him? Let's get crazy this year. Let's read through God's Word together. Let's get nuts. Let's not stop at Deuteronomy or Numbers when we start counting the nation of Israel. Just keep going. Commit yourself to keep going. It'll take less than 20 minutes a day, and you'll be done in a year. And then you can say you read the Bible, and don't worry. Next year, on December 31st, I will tell you we're going to read the Bible again. Never, ever stop until we get home. Read through the Word. Let's decide to, together to put our hope in God's promise for what's coming, not what is now. I'll remind you, you remind me. Let's give up self-medicating away our disappointment, our fear, and our frustration. And let's put on righteousness, even if we feel empty. We were talking as a family this week, and one of Anna's favorite verses is out of Daniel, where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar says, what God can save you from my fiery furnace? And she, and she, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, they, they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego look at Nebuchadnezzar, and they say, our God is able to save us. But even if he chooses not to, we will not bow. Even if. Are you willing to even if? Even if. Self-medicating doesn't work. And let's start looking at each day as a divine calling. And let's start now. Let's start with communion. That's why we do this. I'm going to ask our elders to come forward or whoever else is serving a lot of our elders have run away this morning and they're attending other churches. I, 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 want, I want to say something as they're coming up. We need to take ourselves less seriously than we have and God more seriously. We need to laugh more. We need to weep together and hug each other more and we need to remind each other that it is well with our souls no matter what our life and our brains are telling us. It is well because God has promised. Well, how do you know you can trust his promises? Because he's never broken one yet. He's faithful. He's faithful. Jeb, you're going to continue struggling with finding people to spray insulation this year. Do the best you can. Some of the rest of you have other issues. I mean, that doesn't, maybe to you that sounds like a silly issue. I'm going to continue to have churches that don't give enough money for me to do everything I want. How dare you? It's okay. It's not about my vision. Right? Some of you are going to struggle. Larry, you're going to continue to struggle with your with, with, with the disease, the cancer that's in your body. God's going to take care of business. I know every one of you have concerns. How's worry working? Doesn't. Maybe we should live with reckless abandon and give him back what's his anyway. And it starts here. Uh, let's go ahead and pass it. Oh, there you are, Larry. I was talking to Melinda because I didn't see you. I thought maybe you went and joined the other elders at a different church. Listen, um, as they pass it out, and you can go ahead. The bread, again, reminds us that Jesus just didn't float down, die on the cross, rise from the dead three days later, and float back up. He lived among us. He gets it. He gets it. If you're here this morning, and you are neck deep in sin, but you are the child of God, get over yourself, thank Him for His grace, and take communion this morning. Don't not take Stop looking at yourself. Stop trying to medicate it. 
trust God right now at the beginning, at the end of this year and going into the beginning of next year, before the fireworks blow, before the parties start, before the ball drops, let's give 2019 to Jesus Christ. Not as a church, but as individuals who make up the church. He gets your fear. He gets your pain. More on that next week. But brothers and sisters, he gets it. I'm going to be quiet. And I want to give you a challenge. I want you right now to tell him that you want to learn to set your sights on heaven. You cannot flip this switch. Only God can flip this switch in you. So here's the application today. The application is for you not to decide to do better. The application is for you to surrender. I'm not asking you to list five things you're going to stop in 2019 because that will be done by the third day. I'm asking you to give everything up to him. That's the challenge. Whether you're a new believer or an old believer, whether you're young in the faith or old in the faith, give it to him again. Give it to him again. Would you talk to your father? your heart and your heart you're singing the song Julie's playing let's sing that together I think I know about 85% of the words so you'll have to sing when I stop just the first verse in the chorus make it your prayer your prayer. One of the scariest things about trusting somebody with your life trusting somebody with your life. He has fulfilled every promise he's ever made. He can be trusted with your life. Father, our lives are broken and we're scared because of it, so we try to, we try to fix the edges ourselves, we try to fill in the gaps, we try to feel better about our experiences. And Paul just told us that we need to put our eyes not on those things anymore, but on the realities of heaven. So help us to do that, Father. We give ourselves to you right now. We surrender all, even our fears and our worries and our thoughts. We surrender them to you. 
And as we do, we take in remembrance of him. It's through the blood of Jesus Christ that our sin is forgiven. This is not blood, obviously. It's grape juice. But Jesus told us to take it often to remind ourselves that our sins have been forgiven. All the stuff I talked about this morning means nothing without forgiveness. We're just hoping upon hope for something that isn't real. But your sin is forgiven if you've accepted his offer to forgive you. It doesn't matter if you're a murderer or an adulterer, if you are whatever. Your sin is forgiven. There is hope. He's done that work. Would you take a few moments and worship him in your heart for him? Thank him for his grace. some of you have been saved since you were six years old. You're probably male. I know that's not always true, but you're probably a male. And there was a time in your high school you walked with God, or maybe in junior high, maybe thought about being in ministry, but a lot of life has been lived since then. And you don't mind church, and you don't mind the worship songs, but you feel like your heart, your, your heart is so scarred and maybe from your own sin or maybe from disappointment of others, that you don't feel God is present. He's kind of your wife's thing or the pastor's thing, but he's not your thing. Please don't give up. Please. He has not given up on you. He is not mad at you. He's not tired of you coming. Even if your heart is cold right now, would you just take a moment and tell him that you want to be intimate with him? You want to hear from him again. You want to feel closeness with him, like you would a dad. Men, we can't give up on God, because he hasn't given up on us. And too much in the Bible Belt, Christianity has become a woman thing. It's not a woman thing. It's a courage thing. It takes courage to give your life to God. Please don't leave this to your wife. doesn't have to be a lofty prayer. Dare him to prove himself to you.
eye has seen and no ear has heard, what awaits those who love God? We can't even fathom what's coming. Whether you're 12, 22, 42, or 92, God's love for you is not tired, it's not old, it's renewed every day, Scripture says, and His love for you is, is higher than the highest mountain and deeper than the deepest sea. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He likes who you are. And I know you can't believe that because you may not even like yourself. The good news about God is He doesn't wait for us to have the feelings in order to, to do His thing. Trust Him. Give it to Him. And buckle your seatbelt. It's going to be a great year and terrifying and wonderful and adventurous and tragic, but always hopeful. Lord Jesus, we love you. And because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is hope. Now help us, Father, to embrace our future and the promises you've made and depend on you for them. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. I'd encourage you maybe to take those cups and put it on your work at desk or glue it if you have an old car to your cars. Anywhere you want. Maybe on the door handle. I drew a blank. It's, uh, I am 52 after all, and you start forgetting things. Hey, look, your New Year's party is going to begin. Don't forget Jesus in all this. Don't forget him. After you kiss somebody at midnight, pray with them. It will change your kiss. Pray with them. Bring God into your families. Pray with your families again. Bring back the things you did at first. Love each other the way you did at first and love God the way you did at first. Happy New Year, family. Have a wonderful, wonderful New Year's and we'll be back here next Sunday. We'll start our study of Jesus. God bless you.